listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Welcome to part number two, episode number two of Surrender Your Sexuality. Uh, We are in week number five of our series Relationship Goals at United, and man, it has been incredible. It's been an incredible five weeks. There has been some awesome healing, some awesome stories, um, some awesome restoration that's come out of uh, these five weeks, and we've got one more to go. And uh, anyways, we are picking up our conversation where we left off last episode. So if you haven't gone back and listened to last week's episode, please do, because the very first question we're going to have relates directly to the last story we told in that episode. So make sure go back, listen to that other episode, and then come back and listen to this one. That's how that would work. So, uh, (laughs) hey, we have uh, Caleb, Julia, and Michael with us today. Uh, again, and uh, Michael, Julia, and Caleb all have a specific question they're going to ask. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Because it directly relates to what we just talked about last episode. So, we were um, sort of talking about how there's so many different avenues we can take off of this topic, so many different things to speak about and layers to unpeel. Um, and in the part one, we were talking about fake Burberries and how people could go after fake Burberries thinking that they're authentic only to find out later that they're not and how that relates to the kind of the idea of having a sexual encounter with someone that you think is authentic and then it turns out that it's not and it brought the thought to my mind of what about people who intentionally pursue sexual relationships because they think that they're fake and that if they think the other person's not being authentic then they feel maybe more morally justified in being Mm -hmm. fake themselves and therefore not needing to be vulnerable and then you end up with a situation where neither neither partner needs to be vulnerable and therefore they don't risk getting hurt Mm -hmm. and i don't know what you guys how you guys think think that factors in to just this discussion in general yeah i don't know caleb julia two things that kind of pop into my head one is um like this idea that you can not feel anything flip a switch and then feel something you know when you find the right person so to speak it's challenging because psychologically speaking at least we as humans like if you live in limbo too long things start to fall apart oh for sure you know when you're like um living somewhere between this means nothing and this means everything to me um, by not standing on one side or the other, mm-hmm. like we just start to fall, like you get anxiety ridden about yeah. making decisions on anything. Like everything about us as humans starts like you question decisions you make because you can't, when we can't make stands on things, on anything for that matter, and we live in limbo, um, it, like it just becomes challenging for us to like operate and make even simple decisions as humans. And like mm-hmm. you start questioning everything and you're like, um, why does it seem like my world is falling apart? Well, this could be part of it. Um, and like at some point you have to make a stand and your stand could be, I'm going to make a stand saying this doesn't mean anything to me. And then there's all sorts of problems that come from that. Um, but your stand could be, this means something to me. And because of that, I need to make appropriate decisions. Um, the other thing that came to mind was like, 
what makes sex so challenging is like there's a complete bareness to like literally speaking Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and figuratively like metaphorically speaking and we are not designed to be bare in front of too many people Mm -hmm. right like authenticity is a wonderful thing but authenticity is for one or two or three people like if you're married it's for your wife if you've got like a best friend it's for them too like i have one good friend i have actually have a lot of Quite a you few good friends, but friend. I have two. He just put all of his other friends. Huh? I did. <laughs> I only well, have one good friend. I'll, I'll not name them and they'll have to guess. <laughs> but I have two good friends that literally know everything about my life and every sin I've ever done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't share that with everyone. That would be horrific if I went around doing that. Not only that, but like other people don't want to hear it, right? Yeah. Like not everyone wants to hear about every single sin in my life. Like that takes a relationship to do that, right? And so like, but we're not designed to just be bare like physically emotionally spiritually in front of too many people and that causes that very problem yeah i mean that just real quick that's an awesome point because think of this how many people do you know or do you think you've met who would readily and happily engage in casual sex with a person they find attractive and who was also willing i think the number is it's it's not nothing and uh, <laughs> it's definitely not nothing. I can tell you that. But then, not but then, zero. But then think of this. At least one. How many people do you know who would readily walk on stage in front of 150 people with no clothes on? I know almost no one who would do that. Probably no one, actually. I can't think of, a, I can't think of one who, who would want to do that. Um, but that, that's what came to my mind when we were talking about this bareness issue. Because, yeah, being bare in front of too many people. And... It's weird how we have the cognitive dissonance when it comes to sex mm. that it's not the same that we're not being bare in some in some fashion the way that we would be if we were on stage in front of a bunch of people with no clothes on. Right. I think it's uh the dissonance there that happens is between shame and selfishness. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> whenever we see um Adam and Eve in the garden I mean it's like a quotable verse like the most quotable verse like they were naked and felt no shame right like every pastor ever that talked about sex ever mm-hmm. talked about that particular verse right <laughs> and yeah. so they were naked and felt no shame and that's a huge part of that verse felt no shame um, because as soon as they ate of the tree and realized that they were naked they felt shame mm. and covered themselves like, so immediately, um, when the fall of man happened, they felt shame. So the reason why people would not normally, or not yeah, a normal person would not say, I'm going to walk in front of even 10 people naked, um, or three people, like that's a conservative sexual partner number. Um, I'm not even gonna walk in front of three people naked on a stage or whatever. Uh, that's because in that moment, they are being controlled by shame a good amount like that's good probably a healthy yeah a healthy amount of like yeah i probably shouldn't do that um but but there is shame there now whenever they are committing a sexual act or they have a sexual partner they are being controlled in that moment by selfishness that the selfish desire takes over the shame and we say we just want what we want and who cares how I'm going to get that? I'm going to get what I want. And so a lot of people, they 
they have this cognitive dissonance, but um, they uh, they allow themselves to lean more into the selfishness. Maybe don't even realize that they lean more into the selfishness and they lean into the shame. And uh, I know, at least in my life, um, I would lean into selfishness quite a bit. And then maybe 30 minutes later, all the shame came rushing. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like yeah. one of those things that it's, it's not... Uh, Whatever the antithesis of delayed gratification is, it was like <laughs> delayed. Yeah. I think it's instant, uh, isn't it? It's like no. Well, yeah, I guess it'd be instant gratification. Delayed I guess enough. that is. So no, I mean like the sorry, the antithesis of gratification. Oh, okay. So it's delayed, like terribleness. Like, I yes. don't even I gotcha. know. Like right. you know, like it's almost like that shame was held at bay while my selfishness took over. Right. But it was building up and building up and building up and building up while I was being selfish. And then when I came to my senses, essentially, like the prodigal son, uh, like the scripture of the prodigal son says, it came to his senses, boom, all that shame flooded in. And so, um, man, I think that people fight between those two things. Mm -hmm. And I think that when someone, especially without a Christian worldview, uh, continues in those acts they are continually acting in that selfishness but there will be a day and not to get super biblical spiritual preacher on you but there will be a day where at some point that shame that they held at bay because of the selfishness is going to come flooding upon them in such an intense way and it might last for eternity depending mm-hmm. on where where they're at with Jesus and that is such a sad thing and it's such a sobering thing. But when you talked about that, like it just struck me as that's the cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and that's something I've experienced in my own life. Well, and it's kind yeah. of like trying to fight off a hangover by drinking more. Right. It's like you fight exactly. the shame by just continuing. It's like, if I keep doing this, I'll never feel the shame. Right. It's like, but at some point you're going to hit a point in your life where you're not doing that anymore. And then you have 20 years of it hitting you like a truck. Um, and it's like people who've tried to, you know, beat hangovers by drinking more. It yeah. usually doesn't end it's well like for a, them. It's and, like a drug addict, honestly. Right. And yeah. we, like, it's so weird because we can conceptualize that as a bad thing. Like people know drinking to cure a hangover is generally not a great idea. Yeah. Like we know that, but we don't say the same thing when it comes to sex. Right. Yep. It's yep. like, okay, your intimacy problems, like I'm going to solve my intimacy problems by sleeping with more people. And then I have more intimacy problems, so I'm going to keep doing that. It's like we don't make that like logical jump to say these are one yeah. and the same problem. Well, it's weird because uh, sexual addiction. So I went through like uh, this this year long, almost two year long like rehab process uh, personally, and sexual addiction is something that I would used to laugh at. And I'd be like, that's not real, Tiger Woods. Like, that was the first time I heard it. Like, like, Tiger, come on, bro. Like, you're not fooling anybody. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. But the more I've studied it and the more I've had to go through through, um, some therapy is it's like, oh, my gosh. That is an addiction because you are getting that dopamine hit and feeling great for a moment. And then you're like, oh, but I feel terrible now. I I need more dopamine. Yes, I've (laughs) gravely screwed up. So and then it's like, oh, I need another dopamine hit. Right. Um, And you do. And then it's like, oh, I'm a terrible person. What am I doing? I need more dopamine. Like if you just if you just were to look at someone's brain function, essentially, that Mm -hmm. was um, that was a sex addict or let's just say that was a sexually promiscuous person and a drug addict or an alcoholic, 
you would have the same brain function, not brain functionality when they are triggered. Yeah. And that's something that's insane. And we don't think about that. Um, you know, as a society, we don't, we, we actually stay away from that. Like, ah, that's not, that's not as bad. Sexual addiction is good. Like whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you know, but it's really doing the same thing, um, internally to us, you know, it's tearing us apart. So, right. And like our health organizations have labeled alcoholism as an, like a disease. Yeah. And yet we don't do the same thing as yeah. with like sex. Yeah, it's more of a psychological disease. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, we it's don't sad. put labels on it like that at all. Yeah. It's just like, hey, you do you. And it's all because we've perverted right. what God originally intended. Yeah. Julia, did you have something? You I, took I, a deep I didn't. Breath. It was actually like, more of a, ah, oh, you're right. Okay. It was good. just kind well, of a reflective. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> Sorry, I just that's breathed good. a little too heavily. Into it's the okay. Microphone. You're going to get your chance to ask the question in a moment. You're, <laughs> you're shutting the whole thing down. That's you're right. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm just listening. I'm yeah. along for the ride. So, as I was listening to you, Kendall, I think we got something like an answer to that question of why are people able to participate in casual sexual encounters without the shame and embarrassment, whereas they wouldn't be able to go on stage in front of a bunch of people. And I think the answer lies in the judge. Okay, so for instance, when you go on stage, even if you're not naked, a lot of people have a fear of public speaking because they think people are judging them. They think that they're being sized up. And that would just be magnified if you didn't have any clothes on. They're judging me. They're judging what I look like, all the rest. Um, And then when you were talking about how the selfishness, the selfishness selfishness and the enlargement of (laughs) self can prevent you from can turn you away from the judge and then you said you came to your sense you you come to your senses as like the prodigal son and the prodigal son goes back to the father who's also the judge and so i think what happens with people is that at some point you have to go back to the judge i mean if you're listening to this and you're having casual sexual encounters at some point you'll have to go back to the judge and that's when the shame rushes in and that's when the guilt rushes in and you would feel that if you were on stage in front of a bunch of judges and you will also feel that when you stand in front of a judge mm-hmm. and, and i think it has a lot to do with the, the judgment of it the judgment element of it yeah yeah that's why I did, you know I, I didn't want to get too deep into like you know revelation and the final judgment like all that in this context mm-hmm. but you're right that's what i that's exactly what i was meaning is that when you stand before God at the end of your life and you have to answer for all the things that you've done, you know, um, in, unless there's Jesus, uh, well, then you got to answer for him. Yeah. You know, when Jesus is a part of it, then he answers for those things. But you still answer for what you've done. Like you're still judged. I'm still going to be judged, even though I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. There is, I'm still going to be judged on the words that I say and what, and what I do. But but Jesus, is, you know, he takes over that. Um but yeah, that's what I wanted to say is that like we all are going to end up feeling that shame if we are not covered by the blood of the lamb. We all will feel that that's been built up because we're going to be in front of the judge. Right. So yeah. Good. And like there's the revelation aspect of it. But was, what was so interesting to me was that you were talking about how you could experience that here and now and in, in this moment, how there's like there's that mode where you can get in where yourself is enlarged to where you don't feel judgment of the ideal let's say because like every ideal is a judge yeah and so you have the ideal of what you want to be and who you want to be and then you have the memory playback of you not being that person and then that judgment kind of feels and that was kind of more oh, the yeah. angle i was trying to take yeah that's good dude um so caleb you have a question i don't know if it's so much i mean it is or a question a it's a it's amusing um of, of sorts it's our culture is so driven 
by putting such high value on sexual identity and sex in general. Um, when the truth of the matter is, like I was uh, talking about, like the central figure in the entire Bible, as far as we know, never had sex and was made in a relationship where sex never happened either. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we've got the Virgin Mary who'd have Jesus never had sex. Um, and then this central figure in the Bible who honestly doesn't talk about sex really a ton. Right. Yeah. Um, doesn't talk about sexual identity. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's so fascinating and, and it's hard because what Jesus talks about a lot is the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so like the primary identity that Jesus talks about, like by default as talking about the kingdom of heaven is being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's like, you're either a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But that doesn't really bring up a lot about sexual identity. And yet our culture has so much. It's like you can't walk more than 10 feet without, you know, having to talk about something with sexual identity, especially, you know, mm -hmm. we're working on college campus here. It's like that's like one of the like primary topics of oh, the, yeah. of the mm -hmm. day, so to speak, on college yeah. campuses. And it's like as Christians, like we have to we have to take a stand on something. Right. And it's yeah. like, are we going to say sexual identity is this thing that is most important? We're we going to say the things that Jesus talks about, the things that Jesus is embodies. Um, are primary to what yeah. we're up to, right? And it's like, Jesus was this guy who never had sex and didn't really talk about sexual identity a ton, um, other than, like, you were created as sexual beings, but, like, I've made you to work in the vineyard, and yeah. that's far more important to me, Yeah, right? Yeah, but if he talked about sex, it was about the heart, you know? Yeah. Like, it was all about the heart, and, and, and in the context of the kingdom of heaven. And the, the word identity there, I think, is so imperative because, um, you know, Jesus is the embodiment of our identity when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. Right. Right. So, um, we, you know, I think as a society, like you said, we put, uh, such a importance on sexual identity. We put such an importance on any identity right. on this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. And this is, you know, how I've been made blah, blah, blah. When really in, in the context of the gospels in the context of the Bible, and you've got one identity, right? Like it's, it's one, it's singular. It yeah. is a son and a, or a daughter of the most high God, a created being of God. Right. Like that is your identity. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you look just like Jesus. That is your identity. And so when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he is being very explicit to say, this is all that really matters. The rest of it doesn't matter. Like, you know, Sure. When you're married, you can have sex. Fine. Like, you know, you should definitely uh, be careful what you do with your buddy and you should treat people well. But if you are com if you are completely focused on the kingdom of heaven coming here to earth, then all this other stuff is going to be secondary and work itself out. <laughs> yes. And it's going to work out. He even said it. If you seek first the kingdom of heaven, then all the rest of the, and its righteousness, then yeah. all the rest of this stuff's going to be added to you. Right. You ain't got to worry about it. Yeah. But we do not trust enough mm -hmm. to believe that that's true. So we right. think, well, we've got to make sure we establish our own identity, um, whether that's being sexually promiscuous, whether that's having a certain identification sexually, or whether that's anything. Like It was something that was actually in my notes, the, the last sermon that I didn't end up getting to. But one of the reasons why we become sexually promiscuous is because we're actually playing God. 
we're believing that we can control our destiny and our fulfillment and our identity whenever that's really supposed to be in God's hands. Mm. And so we get this feeling that we can play God. And I think, Michael, you mentioned this. Uh, maybe it was on or off off of uh, the recording, but the power aspect of I can have sex with whoever and whenever I really want to. That is a power aspect and therefore, again, playing God in your life and other people's lives. Um, And some people take that obviously way too far and that's where abuse happens. So I think that sexual impurity is also a perversion of who God is and who you are made to be in God's image and therefore allowing him to establish the kingdom of heaven. You're like, no, no, no. I'm going to establish the kingdom of me right now instead of actually being a citizen of heaven like I should be. So let me sow my seeds. Yes, exactly. So let me do whatever I want to. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think even Michael Todd said something about like, uh, you got to stop sowing your wild oats. Like, (laughs) which by the way, just a second on Michael Todd. He's awesome. I love listening to his sermons. Um, he's really hilarious, but in the, in the one that I was watching, uh, and some preparation for these, this context is our content was, um, the first one that he did on sex and he said he said he said something about um about transgressions transgressions and iniquities being passed down and he was like don't fool yourself your grandma was a hoe yes. your mama was a hoe and now you're a hoe <laughs> 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 and I was listening yes, to it. That's I fantastic. Showed, I showed it to my wife, and I was like, uh, "I don't think I'll be using this analogy." But good grief! And here we are <laughs> using that analogy. But <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> but That's honestly, amazing. that even goes along with the identity yeah. of like right. the transgressions and iniquities that are passed down from other generations, which is biblical. Um, that becomes our identity right. instead of establishing the kingdom identity. Of it does like the slate is wiped clean and now i'm supposed to look like jesus right and at least pursue that so man that was a good uh good uh non-question musing thing yeah so yeah. whatever yeah. it was <laughs> whatever it was that was good <laughs> julia we've all been all right around. i'm about to open a can of worms do it all right so let's take let's take the following scenario let's say that you have two people who are christians who are either in a talking or dating relationship we could go either way but aren't let, they the same well they could be it could be depending That's on my age. as long as it's intentional right <laughs> yeah. as long as it's intentional and so long as there's meaning behind it right um so let's say that let me just go with the the scenario that that's on my brain because I've I've seen people in this I've been in this myself and let's say that you have people that are christians and then Oops, they did it again. They, it slipped, right? They either have sex or an alternative form. Sorry, Caleb. I got Caleb oh, cracking Britney up Spears here. Over here. Yeah, I know. That I know. Slipped. That was a long, I mean, that Britney Spears, that was like when I was in seventh grade. Yeah, you I mean, brought I was that still from, alive. You that. were maybe two. Like. I was, uh, <laughs> it just got to show was playing okay. in my crib, I guess. Yeah, there Oops. you go. All right. Anyway, sorry about that little <laughs> rabbit trail, but let's say that. They have sex and, you know, they feel that conviction or shame, either one-sided or both-sided from both parties. And then they try to continue the relationship and either backtrack to not engaging in any uh, sexual activity whatsoever. Or let's say they just like take it down a notch, but it's still not entirely pure. And then let's say that 
these people have been dating for a significant amount of time. Um, marriage isn't quite in the picture, but they're pretty convinced that they're going to marry this person, or at least there's a good shot. My question is, what do you do with those relationships where uh, they want to be pleasing to God? They, they want to give that up and stop, but those boundary lines have already been crossed, and it seems near impossible to go backwards. Hmm. I'll let Michael answer first because he pulled that microphone up real quick. So, <laughs> so I'll let him. Here's what you out. don't do. Here's one thing you do not do is you do not get married in an effort to atone for your own sins. For sure. Preach. That's, that's, the, that's the main thing that came to my mind because I could think of, you know, young Christian couples, for instance, that oh. have sexual relationships with each other and they think, well, we got to do something to make this yes. less sinful. Gotta, let's, just, let, let's go get married. Well, right. you, you, you didn't wipe away your sin of premarital sex by getting married. If you, if, if Christ isn't wiping away that sin, it's not wiped away. In fact, you brought baggage into the marriage if right. you did that. Even though yeah. it's with each other, you still brought shame into the right. marriage with that. So, Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I would say they're almost better off to not make a change if the only change they're going to make is getting married. Although they're not, it's the status quo in that situation wouldn't be optimal either. Yeah. So he, here's here's what I would say, and um, I I've I've been in this situation a little bit, um, and I would say that my answer is not as harsh as what I told you off the recording. Mm. I promise. That's I've had right. time to think about it now, okay. so it's not quite as harsh. <laughs> Same answer, just with tax. Yeah. No. 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 So, so what um, do you do? Do you salvage it? Do you cut? Yeah. Off? So so here's the deal. This is what I think. I think that. In that scenario, um, there are two different there are two different contexts. If it is, this is a person that I actually do think I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. Not when I'm 16 years old, I'm going to think I'm just like no. When I'm an adult, and I actually think that there's a chance that I could spend the rest of my life with this person, then I think what has to happen, especially if you are both wanting to pursue Christ, you're both wanting to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. then you need to go to a pastor and you need to repent together. Repent simply means to turn away from, to change your mind, to leave that behind, right? And the reason why I say that you repent to a pastor and not to each other is because you need an outside party to keep Keep, help keep you accountable. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you need to text them a pastor. Maybe you do, but this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to text the pastor and be like, we're going out again tonight. Here's where we're going to be, blah, blah, blah. Now, if you're like, you know, you got the fire, like it's burning, like then maybe you need to go ahead and text the pastor. This is where I'm going to be. And this is where we're going to go. And this is who we're going to go with. And like, this is how long we're going to be there. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Things are so, slipping. So, so what we should do in this moment is we should, I know, what we should do in that moment is we should repent so that there can be accountability mm. because here's the deal. We will fool ourselves into thinking if I, if I was in this situation, uh-huh. I have fooled myself into thinking that if I repent to my girlfriend or my fiance, yeah. then I've repented yeah. enough. We've repented to each other. Look right. at us. Look it's how t- great we it's are. Taken yeah. care of. Not great. We're adults. Yeah, we're nicely great. done. Yeah, no, it can't happen. Like, <laughs> you cannot, I'm sorry, you cannot. Um, it's not humanly possible in my mind, at least, somebody can prove me wrong, to hold each other accountable in that. Because there is going to be an opportunity for you two to be alone. There is going right. to be an opportunity for Absolutely. you to backtrack. And you're going to think, you know what? We've done so good for the past like three months. We're going to get married anyways. 
I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like, right. you know, you got some smooth talking dude or a smooth talking girl. I don't know, but that can convince the other party. Or maybe there's no convincing needed. I just think that it. I just think that no you talking. have to invite. You have to invite authority and accountability into your life. And I think that doing that, especially if you think that you're going to get married, doing that sets you up for even a greater marriage because what it does is it lays a foundation of being open in your relationship, of Mm -hmm. going to a pastor or to leadership or to someone when you are having uh, struggles within your relationship. Now that could be a struggle that is together, but it's still a struggle that you're going through. Yeah. And so it lays the foundation that a lot of, uh, honestly, most couples in this world, and especially in the church, do not have, mm-hmm. and that is being open and honest with their community. And mm-hmm. so they begin to hide things or don't share things, and they have to deal with pain on their own. That's not what we're called to do as right. the church. So that is the way I would do that if I was going to be marrying that person. Mm -hmm. If I was already engaged or if there really was an idea between the both of us, yeah, we're probably going to get married and we're old enough to do that. So So what if you're not sure? What if they're a potential candidate? Yeah, no. If if you're not sure, hmm, man, if you're not sure, then I would say you still do the same thing in repenting to your pastor uh, or, or repenting and, and, and or repenting and then inviting authority and accountability into your life. But I would say if you're really not sure, then I would say you need to take a break for a long time. Like that would be, and that's, that's me being older, being married for a while now, making a ton of mistakes when I was younger and looking back on mm-hmm. what I should have done in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Because here's the deal. No one is strong enough to make the decision. Uh, well, we already crossed the line. We just need to back it up a little bit. And then we just need to keep going in the right, same direction or whatever. Like you're going to come to the line again and you're going to cross the line again. It's going to happen. And it's especially going to happen when you don't know where the line is. So if you've already crossed the line, it's really hard to bring it back and say, here's where the boundary's at. Right. Because then even if you say, here's the boundaries at, we're only going to hold hands. Like let's, let's take it all the way back to middle school, right? Like we're only going to hold hands or maybe elementary in this day and age, we're only going to hold hands and that's all we're going to do. That's where the boundary is going to be. Well, then what happens when you go further than hand holding? Okay. Well, oh, well we crossed that line. Okay. Well now the line's moved up. Then what happens when you cross the maybe the kissing line? Mm-hmm. Okay, that line's moved up now. Well, no, no, this is okay. Yeah, this, I feel okay about this. I'm not convicted about this. This is fine. And then the line <laughs> moves up again, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get up to that, that point where you previously were at over the course of, of months or weeks or days or hours, whatever. Um, and you, you cannot stop yourself on your own. It's too much, especially when you've already crossed that line, it's too much of a temptation. So what I would say is that you cut it off for a, a while or Let's, you don't or you don't date individually anymore. You don't okay. go on dates together by yourselves. You don't mm-hmm. drive to dates together. You don't. And then that might seem crazy to some people. Yeah. It seemed crazy to me when I was in my 20s or no, not my 20s. I was married then when I was in my early <laughs> teens, late teens. Right. Like that yeah. seemed crazy to me to be dating with another couple 
and riding with a the other guy. Right. That seems like to, middle school yeah, parents. It seems crazy, yep. but what it does is it protects you. It protects your uh, partner, um, your your boyfriend, girlfriend, and protects your future spouse, whoever that might be. Mm-hmm. And I'm only saying that because I didn't do that, and I've seen the pain that's caused yeah. by that. And so when you are dating, this, this goes into a whole other thing, sexual or not, when you are dating, you must be intentional about your boundaries. You must be intentional about if you've crossed that line, then be intentional about... I know what I did to cross that line. I've got to I've got to draw a hard line in the yeah. sand and say I don't care what it looks like, I'm not going to cross that because mm-hmm. if I do, then I'm going to bring even more pain and more heartache and more shame on me because if we set these boundaries and these lines and then we cross them, then there's going to be a little bit of shame that's oh, involved sure. as well. Then you tried so, and you failed. <laughs> you yeah. try and you fail again and, and then, yeah, and then really at some point try yeah, and, and then at some point you give up, which is why I'm right, saying like right. you, you, you either you either need to cut the relationship off completely um but or stay with very hard boundaries and very hard accountability and you and and, and in both in both scenarios Mm -hmm. if you think you're going to marry this person or if you're not sure and it's in the early stages you still have to repent to god and I do believe in the power of repenting to someone of a spiritual authority as well um because that that invites accountability into your life. And so that would be for both scenarios. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing to do. Repent to God and repent to a spiritual authority so they can help you and give you practical things to do to move forward and to not have to deal with these same things anymore. Gotcha. So let's clarify for the people. When you say take a break, you don't mean take a break as in like, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to we're not going to cross these boundaries again. You mean take a break as in potentially even separating for a period of time. Yeah, because yeah, here's the deal. Or maybe permanently. Or maybe permanently. I'm making you people know, cringe. Maybe. I know it. Yeah, it sucks. I understand. But here's the deal. Whenever you cross the line with someone, it's kind of what we were talking about with secret uh, sex last episode. Whenever you've crossed the line with someone, you've developed an appetite for that person. Yeah, for sure. And it will be infinitely more difficult to quench that if they are still in the picture. Mm-hmm. If they are still around all the time or still available all the time, then it will be virtually impossible to do the right thing or to do the thing that you think that God is calling you to do. So yes, I do mean it's probably not good. You got into this mess together. Mm-hmm. Like you, you allowed each other to eat yourselves down the wrong road. Yeah. So what you have to do is an intentional dating, and this is why I think that you should separate for a time being, is an intentional dating, you have to say, is this person leading me closer to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And am I leading this person closer to Jesus? Because if we're not doing that, if we're not making each other better people in the perspective of God's kingdom, right. then we're not good for each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a separation, I think, for a time period to have that to have that thought, did they really draw me closer to Jesus or not? And if they didn't, then maybe I don't actually need them in my life like I think I do, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's incredibly more difficult that's than me so just saying hard. that. Yes. Well, yeah, especially because of, and I don't want to get into it too much, uh, but especially because of soul ties. Oh, yeah. Like you've given yourself to that person, they've given you themselves to you. And so it's, you 
have a part of them. They have a part of you. And that's why I talk about repentance is because in repentance, something spiritual actually happens mm-hmm. and you can repent from that soul tie even and say, God, please remove this from me. Yeah. Um, and I don't want any, I, I want you to give back whatever mm-hmm. they've got, uh, you know, the I've got of theirs and I want you to get me back whatever they've got of mine. And that sounds really strange and weird, but it's, it's, it's a biblical principle mm-hmm. and we can ask for that and God can restore. And so that's why I think you have to do those things because if you don't, then you're going to find yourself crawling back or yep. running back um, in some cases. Yeah. It's just a matter of how good your good streaks can be before yeah. a bad streak Cause, happens Because no one, I'm telling you, no one is strong enough. Yeah. And if they say they're strong enough, they're fooling themselves oh, and they're yeah. doing something else behind closed doors. Mm. Like that, that's my, that's my thought process on it. Yeah. I know that was a lot of, a lot of stuff to process. No, no, it's good. It's good. I just... This is good. This is my Bible study prep right here. This yeah. is why I love You take the all the notes and then like tomorrow you're going to go to your you group and just like, hey, here's what we talked about. No, it's just great because like I've been, I've been asked this question because nobody, if they, you know, whether they're actually in love with the person or not, nobody wants to break that off if mm-hmm. they've crossed the boundary, but they've been together for a while. Nobody yeah. wants that. But like ultimately, it's a matter of, it's a matter of who you're looking to serve. Are you yeah. looking to serve your your partner, your selfish desires, or God? And then that's a decision that's yeah, you know, that's a heart decision uh-huh. at that point. When you almost opened up another a whole another can, um, and we're short on oh, time, fart. so I'm not going to get many too, cans of worms. too far into <laughs> it. But lo- you said like, if I'm in love with this person, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you want me to get started on like <laughs> what does in love actually look like? Right. Because here's the deal: if you're physically tied to that person. Mm-hmm what you think in love looks like is a whole lot different than what in love actually looks like. If you want to look at in love, you have to look at the biblical model of what love is. See, a lot of times we, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago about the different types of love, Mm -hmm. right? You know, um, and that agape love is the true love, the true form of what is the essence of laying down one's life for someone else, Mm -hmm. um, not being selfish and, if you are having sex outside of marriage, right. there is some bit of selfishness right. but you have inside of that already. And therefore, yes. it's not actually biblical love. And therefore, it's not even biblical love. And so I, I understand the emotional lovey-dovey yeah. side. I'm in love with this person. Of course. But you're not actually in, in real love. You're in, you're, in, you're in lust with them. Mm-hmm. And you're in you're in incredible like with them. Like, like I'm <laughs> you, in like you. with you. Like I mean, seriously, seriously, no, we mean, throw right. we throw around that word so much and it's because um we enjoy we enjoy so much the other person in, mm-hmm. in, in, in many different ways. And so we think that that's love, but that's not. Right. Love is saying, um, if you screw up really really bad yeah i'm still going to be there for you exactly um if you uh you know if you are hurting i'm gonna take care of you even if it inconveniences me Mm -hmm. um if you you know need something i'm going to be there for you unconditional that's what real love looks like and so we don't i don't think that we know what 
really being in love looks like until we're like five years into marriage yeah. <laughs> you know like uh, maybe even longer for some people uh, maybe shorter but mm-hmm. we don't know what real love looks like until until love has been tested right you know even the bible talks about our faith like that our faith is proven like gold right. in the fire that mm-hmm. it's purified right um and i think that that's the way that this culture looks at love in, oh, in a way sure. of like i just really really like this I person love them. yeah and <laughs> maybe you do but this is this is where so this is the thing right the english language has one word for mm-hmm. love Indeed. right when we look at the biblical language uh we talked about it again a couple a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. with the greek there's three different there's three different interpretations mm-hmm. of love at least <laughs> just in the bible right yeah. and so like they had a much greater understanding of what love actually was um and i would say that for us it, it's very difficult to have that understanding because we have one word mm-hmm. love yeah and we think that that's supposed to be you know we then it's left up to interpretation we can interpret it however we want right. to and so when i'm in lust with someone or my soul is completely tied to them because of what we've been doing i say oh i, I love them and it's so hard, but I love them. It's gonna be so hard to no, you don't. No, you don't. You you're tied to them, mm-hmm. but that's not love. And they don't love you either. Because here's the deal. I'm gonna end with this. If you've crossed the line and you say, but I love that person, then the only thing that love should do in that in that moment mm-hmm. is one, forgive them and ask them not to cross that line again yeah that's what love does absolutely and then also love does i said two things but love also doesn't cross that line either mm-hmm. if you truly loved that person and wanted them to be closer to god or wanted them to be a better person let's even even if you take jesus out of it which you can't but even if you did mm-hmm. and you wanted that person to be a better person then the only way that you could truly love them is to help them be a better person by maybe even taking a step on the other side of the line and not making them cross it or not yeah. manipulating them to cross it right. or not asking them to please, will you please cross this line with me? Because that is not love. That's manipulation. That's lust. That's selfishness. That's power. That's evil, yeah. honestly. Um, and and we get so lost in the sauce of lovey-dovey, emotional, oh, yeah. whatever. And that's not, that's not the case. Mm. So that's what I would say if someone came to me and asked me that question. That's how you'd answer it from beginning to end. Yeah, you can just play it back. I mean, if you want to go to your you group right now and just play, here's the question and play. Here's the question <laughs> and play. Just might. So, but. does anybody else have anything on that? I mean, I know that was pretty. Uh, just real quick. I think it's possible for people to love each other, to actually love each other and just not understand the pain, the painful side that comes with the unsanctioned sex. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't understand it or they haven't experienced it yet, one practical way they could enlighten themselves is to go have conversations with married couples who have issues because of, of the unsanctioned sex that was a part of their life at one point or, or however, you know, however that stuff kind of gets brought in. Educate yourself on the pain and the problems that are associated with it. Then you can test your love because if you really have that agape love for your boyfriend or for your girlfriend, you won't want to hurt them and they won't want to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so right. there's the... Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We're so glad that you've joined us today. This one was a little longer, but we had some great content, some great questions. Um, so anyways, hey, if you enjoy this conversation, if you've enjoyed these conversations, do us a favor and uh, download the stuff, uh, whatever, you know, whatever platform you're listening on, download it and share this podcast with people because it's not about our voices being heard. It's about God's truth being revealed. And um, we just want God's truth to be revealed across the nation, across the world um, in general. And if God can use us to do that, that's great. And if he can use you by sharing some of this content with somebody that you know, then that would be awesome too. And it's a really low level of entry. Like you literally just copy the <laughs> link or push the little share yeah. button and put it out there and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, do us a favor and do that if you like this stuff that's going on. But uh, either way, we will see you next week on the ULOF podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the ULOF podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live united.